0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Exert Breakthrough Laboratory podcast. I'm your host, Scott Steele, and as usual, I am joined by the gang, uh, Dr. Stephen Chung. Hey, everybody. And Armando Mistracci.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: Uh, Good to be here and talking with both of you again. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, your weekends. I know we had some beautiful weather this weekend, so... uh, I was definitely able to get out a little bit and enjoy some beautiful, uh, beautiful weather, beautiful routes.
1: Yeah, you're smiling a little more today, it seems.
0: Yes, I, I I feel like I need to let everybody know that I did beat Armando in a town sign sprint. So I just need to I need to publish it out there to the world. So yeah,
1: and I've I've, I've buried my my head in in a hole.
0: I, I I mentioned everybody. That's the 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 peak of of exert cycling achievements. Like we need to create a special badge for like I have beaten Armando Mistracci in a sprint. That'll be my new profile icon. <laughs>
1: no we had we had a little team ride on the weekend, uh, and the uh, weather was fantastic. The route was fantastic it was
0: beautiful yeah, Very quiet roads. The weather was absolutely perfect it was it was great uh, very easy to
1: keep our social social distancing practices in place, and you know no drafting and things like that. We're still pretty sensitive to uh, uh spread of this virus
0: and stuff, so um, all in all, it was a great ride. Absolutely. yeah. And I saw Stephen is finally back to his experiments with uh, testing gravity again.
2: Yes, at long last, the uh, the Niagara Glen area here in southern Ontario has reopened this past weekend for bouldering. It's been open for kind of hiking and stuff around the Niagara Gorge for the last week or, or two, but uh, my boys and I have been itching to get back out on the rocks and and, uh, that was actually my first, so we went yesterday and that was on Sunday and that was my first time going, uh, outdoor bouldering or climbing of any kind, obviously since before my accident and now everything is sore. And, but the good thing is I managed to, unlike last time, I managed to walk out under my own power this time. So that's a huge oh. bonus. They didn't have to float me down the Niagara river and over, uh, <laughs> over the falls. No stretcher
0: to, to come out of uh, climbing this time, eh?
2: No, this would have been a uh, pretty hairy to get out of being right on the ravine in the gorge there, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it was great we uh We found a few great rocks to climb and boulders and and it's just a fabulous way to bond as uh my my boys are nineteen and seventeen almost twenty and eighteen, and time is precious with them, and it's just great to be outdoors and doing something together with them
0: yeah, absolutely it's definitely wonderful to be able to get uh get back outside again. I think everybody's uh, going a little stir crazy being cooped up so long. So it's it's good to at least be able to to get out uh, and, and start to enjoy that uh, sunshine, fresh air. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask you about, Stephen, you just wrote an article for PEZ, uh, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, you're working on your peak power again, supposedly.
2: Yeah, I guess it's been the culmination as uh, listeners know. I've post-injury I've been spending a lot of time in rehab and as part of that I've been doing a lot of weight work both to balance strength in my legs and also to uh, improve mobility and everything so I've been keeping it up and so now that you know we've been kind of riding outdoors consistently with good weather not really indoors the I've kind of focused on a kind of a block periodization model where I wanted to transfer some of my weight work that I've been doing indoors to uh, the outdoors. So I figure rather than doing kind of, you know, other type of efforts, I'm going to focus on my favorite kind of workouts to really for building maximal power and to really translate the weight workout into the road, which are these uh, small gear sprints where you're going from very, very uh, low speed and in a smallish gear and you're just revving up to 130 plus rpm standing out of the saddle generate tons of power that way and then the other workouts that i like to do with them is what i called stomps where you're again in a almost at a standstill you're in your largest gear you're seated the whole time and you are just driving it and trying to accelerate from zero rpm up to 80 rpm and beyond as fast as possible and And uh, especially that stomp, it's a huge, massive whole body workout because you have to use all of your arm strength to be pulling on the handlebars, your core is stiff. It's really like doing power cleans on the bike. So I find that a good way coming out of kind of the indoor season and outdoors to really translate the kind of the weight workout onto real life cycling situations. And very happy to report that, you know, a year off from the injury and, you know, I've done this, this kind of workout about, you know, last eight years and I got all the power files to generate it and to uh, to look at and I'm hitting some of my highest powers ever, you know, at least as high as I've ever done, if not higher in both of those efforts. So that's got me pretty, uh, pretty happy. So at least I can uh, generate a ton of torque and, and power and, so that's been really good for the motivation.
0: Well, it's interesting because you're kind of working on both types of sprints, if you will, where you've got kind of the very, the, the starting at a very high inertia and maintaining that very high cadence, uh, which is really good for kind of those finish. If you've got like a lead out sprint, it's really good for, uh, for those like very top end speed sprints. And then at the same time when, with the, um, with the uh very big gear, very locating. So you're working just on that pure raw power, which is interesting. So you get to work on kind of both aspects of, of that peak power, which is interesting. Yeah,
2: because most of the time when people think, Oh, I'm gonna go do a sprint workout, you know, they think of doing it like you see in a end of a road race where you're in a largish gear, you're at you know high speed, and then you're you know doing your final kind of hundred meter sprint. And yes, that's ultimately what you want to build up to. But, you know, actually the power you generate there isn't really that high. And it's, it's pretty hard to do what these two kind of drills do is really break down that final sprint into its individual components. You need pure strength, which is what the, what those stomps do, because you're going from from, you know, absolute zero RPM and you're just driving from a stationary start. So you're building a ton of strength that way. And, uh, and then with those small gear sprints, what you're really working on is your technique and your agility, your ability to just rapidly go from, you know, again, zero cadence to 120, 130 RPM while you're standing in full kind of sprinting technique. And then the other important things you're learning what I do in those is I shift up twice during that. And the sprint itself isn't more than a hundred meters. So your whole goal is to go from zero to 120 RPM. You shift up one gear, you, you know, you're continuing standing. So you're real. And then you do it again. So you're building a ton of agility. You're focused on the technique. And then, you know, if you have time, for a full workout, then what I do is then I transition to, you know, actually doing a full kind of simulated end of a race sprint where you put it all together in a largish gear at a at a high speed already. And then you try to try to build up into the final sprint from there. But but what this kind of workout does is really break down those individual components, force you to train them, and uh, I find them super effective. So yeah. again, if you want details on those, go to Pez Cycling News, search, uh, search, uh, stomps, and you'll find that article about kind of how I do it and, and the benefits of, of that workout. Yeah, interesting. I
0: just have uh, a couple further questions for you in case anybody's kind of curious or wants to kind of repeat that. So, uh, the first question, do you usually do that on pretty flat roads um, and then secondly, what type of focus do you usually finish that type of workout with?
2: Well, I'll start with the second question. The focus is definitely road sprinter. It's about a minute 40 typically that I end up with. And um, and then... Less than, than
0: I... less than two minutes, ideally.
2: Yeah. And for example, the highest power that you generate is actually with those small gear sprints. It's not with the stomps the because you're not going at a high enough cadence to really really have that peak power. So, as an example for the small gear sprints, I hit about 1100 watts and that's with a 3415 gear shifting up to a 14 and then a 13. So, you're not in a big gear at all. So, the focus is really just speed and all out and technique and uh, And then with the stomps, um, yeah, I'm generating about 800 watts at max on those. And do I do them in a flat road? Yeah, I try to do them on on flat roads, and luckily in Niagara, we have endless amounts of, of flat roads where the only obstacle is really wind. so um, so yeah, you you're really just focusing on on that. You try to have bottom at least a five minute easy, easy recovery between this is not one of those where you're looking to train your fatigue resistance and to do them under a state of fatigue, you want to be maximally recovered. And really your whole goal is to generate absolute kind of max power that you can. So in terms of what data field I look at afterwards is I look at peak power, I'm not looking at anything else and I'm just trying to each time try to top as much as I can the peak power value.
0: That's interesting if your goal is really to keep that focus really no I I know Armando could probably even elaborate even further. but I mean the the best way you're really going to encourage that very very low focus is you're going to go really really hard those whatever 10-15 seconds that you're sprinting and then like you mentioned really really noodling just kind of very easy pedaling in between letting that MPA recover and um, versus kind of trying to ride at LTP or at threshold after that, it's not going to be quite as effective. You're going to watch your focus kind of go very low. And then as if you're working too hard in between those sets, you're going to see it come right back.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is really the closest equivalent to doing weights outdoors, right? It's if you're doing max effort weights, you're not, you know, kind of doing cardio in between you are recovering resting as much as you can so i'm literally just noodling along at you know 100r 100, 100 watts kind of thing in between for 5 minutes just trying to spin recover and be maximally ready for for the next one so this is definitely not one of those workouts where you know you are trying to train your ability to generate force under fatigue or or power under fatigue this is all about peak peak power and and so what you should end up with is you should end up a road sprinter focus and it should be as polar as you can get because you're either going at a thousand watts or you're going at a hundred you know really literally like nothing in between
1: well that's that's interesting that's exactly how the the numbers add up and exert where you know if you want to if you want to increase your peak power, you want to add peak power strain. Well, how do you add peak power strain? Well, the best way to add peak power strain, strain is to get as close as you can to peak power and, and put strain that way. You can't put strain on your peak power by riding at 300 watts. It doesn't matter what your MPA is. In fact, so even if you're fully fatigued, you don't put any strain on your peak power system. Anyway, the only way to put strain on your peak power system is to sprint and the closer you get to it the more strain you put on it and so you have to recover right because as soon as you start to sprint your mpa comes down and you start to you see it drop and it'll come down and it'll come down if so the longer you 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 train the longer your interval above threshold the more your you the more your mpa comes down and and that makes it difficult to add strain to your peak power so that's why You do really short intervals you do them as hard as you possibly can and then once your mpa starts to come down you stop and then you wait for it to recover and you repeat and if you do those types of intervals you're going to maximize your peak power strain and then you're going to maximize the amount of improvement you can get onto your peak power so that's the way the numbers work in 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 exert and in practice And we know this from, you know, how sprint training is, how people have done sprint training for years. This is exactly how it has been done over the years. So the exert method is really in parallel with kind of how, how sprint training has always been done.
2: Yeah. And this is also how, you know, track sprinters train, right? When they are actually working on their sprints, again, they're going all out and then they're you know, they're not doing temple rides around the, around the track. And the, in the meantime, they're, they're resting in between. So it's, it's literally the same thing. And just to finish kind of how I do those workouts, I generally do about, you know, seven to eight of kind of the small gear sprints first. And then I do seven to eight of the, of those stomp efforts. And then again, if I have time and what's really fun, uh, you know, afterwards is, if you are out training with a partner is that you try to do a lead out, you know, where you take turns, one guy is the lead out and then the other guy, you know, comes off the wheel and, and does the, uh, does the final sprint. So it's a good, good chance to also work on your kind of a uh, team, t- team's tactics and strat- and uh, technique that way also.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, that was an interesting uh, discussion there. So I'm glad mm-hmm. we got to have that
1: big uh, segue into our real yeah, or good into our segue topic.
0: into into our talk for today so Brilliant. um really uh for everyone that's tuning in today uh kind of what we wanted to do with the episode today is is kind of rehash or kind of talk again um and revisit kind of how exert is deriving that fitness signature so we know that we have um you've got your peak power you've got your your hie and your threshold power but we wanted take a little bit of a, of a revisit or a deeper look into kind of how Xert is deriving those numbers. Um, some people might notice discrepancies between what Xert is saying and what, what Zwift told them their, their FTP is. And so hopefully uh, with our discussions today, we can shed some light on kind of why those differences exist and, and maybe look a little bit uh, at how other systems are trying to uh, derive that FTP and versus kind of how we're doing it with Exert. Uh, yeah, that's
1: like, you know, and, and I think there's been, uh, you know, there has been, we've been around now for, what, four or five years. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of people that have used the system years and years ago, and even even some recently. And, they, you know, they they look at it, they look at it and says, well, it didn't really give me results. I didn't understand them, or they were, my FTP was way too high, or my FTP was way too low, and I didn't understand it. And so... Hopefully what we're going to try and do today is give give uh, the listeners a bit of a better understanding of what the system's trying to do, what can happen, what when can it go wrong and what can you do about it as well. So to give you a better appreciation of what the system's trying to do, how it's uniquely different than how the other methods do things and how to recognize when you've got, you know, you've got everything dialed in. This is what the language people will say I have everything dialed in. And then you know that your training and everything, the workouts, everything's all going to be perfectly tuned to you. And that's really where you want to get to is that state of where your fitness signature and and your training, everything's all matched perfectly. Um, So you're really going to see some great results because you can get the best training and, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to really see the best uh, application of the exert model towards your 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 fitness.
0: Yeah, and, and before we went any further in depth on this, something that uh, th- that I thought would be good to kind of bring up is, it, it's a bit of a nomenclature, a kind of a, just a naming convention, but uh, I wanted us to kind of re-clarify what MPA is. We get a lot of people, um, or one of the most commonly asked questions is, how do I increase my MPA? And so, uh, one of the things that we'd like to clarify with this episode, um, which uh, we've Done it a little bit on the forums, but uh, r- remember, MPA isn't a fixed value. So uh, you remember that maximum power available is this dynamic value. It's it it, it it's going to move as you perform work above and below threshold. And so when you produce work above threshold, your maximum power available is going to decrease a little bit. And when you um, when you work below threshold, it's going to go back up. Now. Uh, Typically, it gets confused with what's peak, what your peak power is, and that's because when you're fresh, the system makes the assumption that the maximum power available, or the maximum amount of power that you can generate, is going to be equal to your peak one-second power. And so that's why whenever you start kind of a warm-up or you start a fresh ride, you're going to see MPA is going to be equal exactly to what your peak power is. And uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum is um, for for those of you maybe on the system that have uh, ever gone really hard and really deep on an effort, you'll notice that MPA is going to keep dropping, keep dropping, keep dropping. And at some point uh, when you hit that breakthrough uh, and if you're able to keep pushing, you're going to notice MPA is just going to sit at threshold. It's not going to go any lower than threshold. And uh, I was hoping maybe, Armando, you'd be able to kind of explain or give some insight kind of conceptually, why can't MPA go below threshold, Um, like kind of, what's the idea behind that?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's really a a function of how exert does things differently than other systems. So, you know, people wonder, you know, what's, you know, my FTP, how does that compare to exert? Do I get my FTP from exert? You know, do I have to do testing all those questions we get all the time, but the, the key distinction is with exert is that the threshold, threshold power is really defined as the power at which when you go above your threshold your muscles will weaken and mpa starts to decline okay so it starts at peak power and then as you perform above threshold it starts to come down comes down non-linearly so it doesn't come down really fast it starts off pretty slow so you're not gonna see your numbers change all that much And then if you keep holding that power above threshold, you'll see it come down faster and faster and faster. And then if you go below your threshold, well, MPA kind of regenerates. It kind of starts to move back up. So if you rest, your muscles regain their strength and your MPA starts to increase. So your MPA kind of moves up and down with your efforts. And the way it's derived is it's derived with those three fitness signature numbers. So your threshold power says, okay, if I go above it, MPA comes down. If I go below it, it goes back up. So we know what we know what, what, threshold does. Well, where does it come down from? Well, it comes down from peak power and how far can it come down and how long does it take for it to come down is a function of your HIE. How much capacity do you have to perform above your threshold. So we, we call it, it's a capacity, it's why it's in kilojoules, it's a little more abstract, but in essence, the bigger the capacity you have above your threshold, the longer it takes for your, your MPA to come down. Okay, so it kind of makes, you think of it as like, if, if, if I have a bigger capacity, it means I can hold one minute power a lot longer than with a smaller capacity. So that's what HIE kind of gives you is kind of like, how long can I hold the powers in between my threshold power and my peak power? And MPA is this number that is kind of an interactive, that is determined from your signature and your, the power that you produce. So in some ways, when you look at MPA, you're actually looking at your signature. You kind of think of it in kind of an extract terms. You go, my MPA really is my signature applied to my power data. And so that's what the system is kind of tracking for you and says, okay, we're gonna calculate this MPA for using your signature, which is, there is almost synonymous with your power data. And then you say, well, what's a breakthrough? Well, a breakthrough is when your power goes above your MPA and it sustains it for long enough for the system to say, hey, that MPA was broken, you had a breakthrough your MPA that means that your signature needs to change. So, that signature change is what the system will calculate. They'll call that a breakthrough and allows you to track that. Okay, so that's how all these pieces kind of fit into place, right? To identify, and if that breakthrough, for example, means that you went very deep, and the only way to explain the breakthrough is that your threshold had to go up, well, the system will determine that. And say hey your threshold's gone up by
0: whatever three four five watts sometimes and, more and that's the case even if it wasn't necessarily a 40 minute effort the system is able to detect those changes in your threshold with something as short as let's say a, a one or two minute effort uh, oh, is, yeah. we'll, well we'll talk about it later but that's where it's going to be one of the big differences between kind of what we're able to do with with exert signature extraction versus uh, kind of some of the older ways of doing more uh, longer field tests and kind of extrapolating what they, what they think your threshold might be based on those field tests.
2: Okay. Well, and what it's actually doing is it's, you know, it needs data at the edges of your capacity, right? It's saying, saying the model, you know, is the current fitness signature is not explaining what you're doing right now. So we need to go back and recalculate the, the signatures so that you know your current data is in the realm of possibility uh, and is you know is a uh, viable viable uh, data so that's also why it's important to have good data and also to have have uh, you know ideally as much time at max effort and that's one of the measurements that you will see is time at max effort on your exert page and And the system requires at least five seconds to really say, okay, we have enough data to to make a confident estimate of your fitness signature. Obviously, the more data, the longer you can hang on to being at that edge of your capacity and uh, the better the system is going to be because it has more data at the edges. If all you do is... If your threshold power, for example, is 300, you can do 250 watt intervals all day long and you're not at kind of the edges of your capacity. So you're never going to get to a stage where the system says, you know, what, you know, you're, you're beyond what kind of the current model says is, is possible.
0: And that is one of the similarities between kind of exert and and other models as well as they're going to have you do kind of some strict sort of field test. So whether that's a ramp test, whether that's your your traditional like 20 minute test, 60 minute test, those sorts. All of those tests, regardless of how they're performed, need to bring you to exhaustion at some point. Now, what's what's really cool with with Exert is we can get you to exhaustion point at any point, and it doesn't need to be kind of this the steady state effort to failure. Um, and really, one of the ways that uh, you can really tell when you, get a good, uh, when you really get a good extraction and a good fitness signature, um, we get a good amount of questions on, uh, on the support channel via just, hey, is this fitness signature accurate? One of the, way, one of the first things that I typically look at with, with the user data is how many breakthroughs do they have? So how, how many points of maximal effort do they have? And then two, if you're actually looking at the XPMC on your progression or the exert performance management chart, you'll you'll see these little circles that identify where you get the breakthrough. And what's cool is that the size of the circle actually is related to that maximal effort time that that, that Stephen was talking about there. And, and so if you're able to generate a lot of time where your power is really, really, really close to your MPA, you're going to get a, a much more accurate fitness signature resulting from that. Uh, versus kind of uh, what I was ranting out on a little bit last episode, where if you do kind of this 20 minute test or this ramp test, you're going to get to failure. Yes. But you're only going to have a very few short seconds where MPA and power are very close to one another. And it has to, it's because MPA comes down non-linearly. So kind of the first minute of that last interval for your ramp test, you you feel like you can do it. And then the last 10 seconds, suddenly it feels much too hard and you can't go any farther. Well, when you do the the test that way you're just not able to continue performing work near mpa long enough and so you'll get you will might get a breakthrough uh but it's going to be often usually kind of a small circle and and because the power stops so abruptly it's very difficult for exert really to look into uh kind of the differences between uh what contributed uh, whether it was threshold or hie that was uh contributing to failure at that point and so the way that I think about it is this way. If, if you're doing kind of the standard ramp test, let's say you're starting at 100 watts and you're going up 30 watts per minute. If you last four or five minutes into that ramp test, there's almost infinite fitness, signature, fitness, signature, um, or fitness signatures that could result in fatigue at that exact point in time. Uh, when you kind of adjust threshold up or down or when you adjust HIE up and down. And that's just because the, kind of the point of failure was so short. But if you take something like uh, like our beloved Ronestad workout, uh, where you're able to draw the MPA down, allow it to recover, draw it down again. If you're spending lots of time very close to MPA, that gives the extraction algorithm a lot of good data to work from. And you're much more likely to get a, a larger maximal effort time. And that resulting fitness signature is going to be so much better because it can work out those finer details between, okay, uh, if MPA was able to recover this much because he was able to sprint after that interval, then it's, it's going to give that much more, uh, kind of much more dialed in fitness signature, as we like to say. And so that's really one of the things when you're looking at is my fitness signature signature correct is really take a look at your progression, see how many breakthroughs you have in the progression and how big those breakthroughs are. Not in terms of like how much your threshold went up or down, but in terms of what was your maximal effort time. Uh, that those are really, if you can look for those two things in your progression, you can see you've, you've got a lot of breakthroughs or you've got deep breakthroughs. That's really the best way to make sure that you've got that uh, a very valid fitness signature. Uh, from from the exert system.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And the um, you know you'll whenever we look at people's uh, yeah, XPMCs, you just by glancing at them, you can always you could always you almost immediately see issues. Now, unfortunately, most people who use exert don't have the benefit of seeing everyone else's XPMC. They've only ever seen their their own, so they don't really know what it should look like. But if we can paint a picture for you. A good good XPMC will be filled with lots of larger circles. Uh, The circles will be aligned with your training. So the more training you do, the the higher uh, that line will move. Uh, The less training you do, the lower that line will move. You'll usually find larger circles uh, and they'll hopefully be somewhat frequent if you're doing harder efforts. If you're not doing harder efforts and you're going through a period of base training where you're not doing any breakthroughs of course we we don't expect to see any any uh uh any any circles or at those points in your training but if you're if you're doing yours with races or if you're out doing group rides and you're being pushed to your limits then you should see a good frequency of those of these circles in your in your progression and um when you see those if you just see a couple and you know you've been riding hard and you're seeing big jumps in your numbers, there's probably some error in your data. So that's the first thing. So if you're seeing your your threshold jump up and it goes from 250 to 350 or something, well, yes, I know it'd be great to feel that maybe that's something you did, but chances are there's probably some error in your data in in that process. And if that that error kind of persists and it just lives on for a few months, um, it was probably an anomaly. It's some, something happened with your data that uh, resulted in this kind of higher signature, and it's not valid. You need to look at that data, you need to correct it. You know, uh, you know the, the system can only respond to the information that you give it. So either the data has to be valid and good, um, and back to what you're saying, Scott, you know, if, you, if you're doing unnatural acts in your data for fatigue, for example, you like, let's say you never ever do a maximum effort, maximum peak power effort. Well, system's not going to know what it is, right? And so you've got to have some kind of a real maximum, real peak power effort to get a real peak power value. If you stop, you know, your, your effort at the end of failure and you stop abruptly or, or you, you know, you, you, your, your power moves up as a, in the process of fatigue Uh, And you don't let it come back down again. Well, that's an unnatural act. Usually when you fatigue, your power comes down, not goes up. So if you create these, this, this kind of invalid, the exerts not not able to kind of determine whether this was an unnatural act. It's expecting it to be natural. And so therefore it's going to give you the data. So if you're faking out the system by stopping abruptly or doing things that would be unnatural in terms of your own fatigue, then it may not get the right result. And that happens. You'll, you can see, a, a signature extraction process be invalid and that could be either from you know incorrect data or just because the act itself was somewhat unnatural okay um see, sometimes you even see that in mountain biking if, as an example you right you hit a rock or something in the middle of a of a, of a breakthrough all of a sudden you know you, get, you see your numbers jump up right because because you had a few little glitches in your in your power right at the point of failure so these are the sort of things that you can look for in your progression. You can say, hey, you know, this doesn't make any sense. I should flag it. And flagging is always a good idea. If you have any suspicion that something has gone wrong, just flag it. Because if it's if it's true, then, hey, you, you'll, you'll be able to do it again next week or the next few days. So that same result should be repeatable, Right. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's uh, you know, if, if you leave it unflagged, then uh, it might be a problem because you might be, your numbers might be higher than what you're actually capable of. So there's nothing wrong with flagging a breakthrough in the anticipation that you're going to be able to prove it. The other thing you can do is say, oh, yeah, I, I got the same numbers that, you know, the week after. Well, go back and unflag it if you want you know, and say that that's my real number. So you so don't be shy to kind of flag something. I know sometimes it hurts your ego because you just got a big jump in numbers. But, you know, if, if you're questioning them, you think something might have happened, go ahead and flag them. Uh, and, you know, uh, hopefully you'll be able to just repeat those numbers in the future.
0: One of the other things that I wanted to to bring up and, and discuss is a lot of times we talk about breakthrough and, and drawing MPA down. But uh, one of the other things that, that I think is important to highlight is it's not only tracking how MPA comes down, but it's also looking at kind of how it recovers in between, especially on kind of like road races or Zwift races, places where MPA is coming down, it's going back up, it's coming back down. Those moments where it's recovering are almost as helpful to the system to determine um, kind of how quickly did, that, did MPA go back up. And that's, once again, really helping identify that relationship and that that kind of exchange between threshold and HIE. Um, if you're able to draw MPA down kind of once and then you're, you're, you're cooked, you're, you're done, uh, it could indicate that you've kind of, you had a large HIE, but it's, you've used it all, and now it takes so long for you to kind of refill that tank, uh, that large HIE tank, that you weren't able to bring it back down again. Um, and so that's one of the other important things to remember with exert is like right when you're at that limit, uh, a lot of people, especially if it's a race, kind of you cross the finish line, you hit save or whatever. Uh, sometimes that can throw off the extraction algorithm as well, uh, mm-hmm. just because it's looking for hey, what? How did MPA recover after the fact? Uh, and so that's one of the other things that I'd like to just point out uh, to some of our to our users as well is when you do bring that MPA all the way down. Uh, If you can, if it's possible, let the data run for an extra like 15, 20 seconds, just so you can get some of that recovery data. Uh, Otherwise the, uh, the extraction algorithms, like where, where, where's the recovery? How does MPA go back up?
2: Yeah. And again, just to reiterate, that's, that's why I really like using the, if I'm doing kind of not in a group ride setting, if I'm just trying to reset my signature, that's why I really like the Ronestad workouts because Mm -hmm again, there are 30 seconds on 15 seconds, kind of at a moderate 100 watt kind of uh, recovery. So I usually drain my, you know, and I do 13 of them uh, in one set. And usually, by around I draw my MPA down to down to a breakthrough level by about the eighth interval so you know kind of the 9 10 11 12 13 they're all up down up down up down and and really showing this not only giving the system a lot of of uh, time at max effort but showing that recovery drop again recovery drop to really give it kind of good quality data not just the quantity of it and um, yeah so usually that's why I like that so much If you're in a a lot of times in a race situation, if you're doing, you know, we don't have the St. Catharines club training rides, but usually this year because of the pandemic, but usually I go into Tuesday night rides and I'm guaranteed to have a breakthrough and a really good quality one because, you know, it's a repeated circuit race where we're just attacking, recovering, attacking, recovering has that same uh, ability to, and again, just to reiterate what Armando said at the start. Again, I think there's still a lot of confusion about what HIE is, and and again, like if you have a high, you can have have let's say a, your peak power be a thousand watts, your threshold be two fifty. What the HIE is really telling you is how quickly your MPA draws down and also recovers. So if you have a really low HIE, your anytime you go above. The th- above your threshold power, uh, relative to someone with a really high HIE, your, your MPA is going to draw down a lot faster. And because you just can't handle that effort at above threshold. Whereas if you have a high HIE, that rate of decay of your MPA is going to be less and a lot, lot longer and slower. And, and, uh, again, just want to clarify exactly kind of what that HIE is. Mm It's also saying if you are, uh, during those recovery, if you have a high HIE, you will also recover that MPA faster than if you had a low HIE. Um, you know, if you were to do a long interval above threshold, you will take a lot longer time if you have a low HIE to to get back up to really regenerate your MPA.
1: Well, you know, that brings up a really interesting um, uh, topic or, or, or a thing to, to, to bring up, which is that if you look at recovery and you look at your threshold and your HIE, um, one of the things that's really important to understand is that the averaging of power isn't symmetrical above and below the threshold. And that's a mistake that a lot of people make. And frankly, other systems make, and I'll have to say that. The other systems don't account for the asymmetry in your average power. What that means is that if, you, if, if your threshold's 300 and you spent a minute at 350, or let's say five minutes at 350, and then you spent five minutes at 250, that that's not equivalent to 300 watts. So the average would be 300 Watts, right? And you look at in most, most of the different types of averaging of power. If you look at five minutes at 350, followed by five minutes at 250, it's going to be pretty close to 300, whether that's normalized or whether that's average or weighted average, it's pretty good, pretty close to 300. Um, in exert world that doesn't work that way. Okay, because we're not looking at average power. So there's no average power algorithm in exert that influences your signature. It's all based on MPA. Okay. So that's one of the fundamental differences people look at and you said, you know, I average so and such for, you know, this system gave me a 20 minute power of X. And that means my, my threshold should be Y, why does exert, why is it so much higher in exert? Well, the reason why it's often higher in exert is because it's not, it's, there's, there's no symmetry around threshold. What that means is that if you were to do a 20-minute effort, so let's say you look at your best 20-minute effort, and let's say even presumption, we presume that your threshold is, five, is 95% of that. Not always the case. Obviously, it's a function of your HIE and your peak power. But well, let's say it's just, a, for example, that it is 95%. Well, if you look at your best twenty-minute power, that's you know, if that effort included points where you were above your threshold and then included points when you were below threshold, well, you just can't look at average power anymore, and that's because you don't recover as fast as you use it. So, if you're using it at fifty watts above it, you don't recover at fifty watts below it when you go fifty watts below. So, I know it's hard to maybe conceptualize, but. What that really means is that you can't look at average power when you include efforts above and below threshold, ultimately, because it's not, it's, it's not a reflection of what you really can do. So if you held that power for 20 minutes, that's going to be a higher power than what the average, your highest, your best effort that included efforts above and below threshold. So that's the fundamental issue with using average power. When you look at it through MPA, what you'll we'll see in those cases is when you're above threshold, MPA will start coming down. As soon as you go below threshold, MPA starts coming back up. Okay, so MPA will track and will understand when whether you're using that energy that you have available or whether you're recovering that energy. And we'll map out and know what your numbers will be at the end of that effort. So that's one of the key differentiators between how Exert works and how other systems work. Where, where they're looking at your average power, but they're not sensitive to the concept or the idea that that average power might have efforts above and below threshold.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So you're getting a lot more credit for each each second that you spend above threshold power than uh, than kind of other systems which is just averaging so again it's not a one-to-one you know i again one second at 350 watts is kind of negated or balanced by one second at 250 it's not that because again you're spending kind of your cash at a much higher rate when you're going above your threshold than you are saving when you are you know below below it so it's uh, That also goes back to the reason why with EXERT we can have more than 100 XSS for, for an hour, right? whereas with other systems based on your average power or normalized power to your you know, threshold power, you simply cannot ever, you know, by definition, get above 100, 100 units, uh, but XSS does because again it's giving you more credit for the for the time that you spend above the above your threshold power and and um, you know again you know if you're repeatedly going above and and uh, so again you can do that exact same workout if your threshold power is is 300 if you did a workout where you go 1 minute at 350, you know 1 minute at 250 repeat for an hour, you know theoretically you've you know you would have an average power of 300 but you know in in exert you are getting a lot more credit for it because you are continually at a state of fatigue because yeah, after that first effort, your MPA has dropped down and then not at you know peak freshness anymore. And you are, you know, again, working harder because you're under a state of fatigue and exert gives you more credit for that, which is yeah, again yeah. why ultimately you can have more than a hundred XSS gained in one hour.
1: And so, you know, you, you can you can attempt to mimic this effect by doing what we do with normalizing it, normalized power, that is you can take it to the fourth power. And then you can sum up or you know, take the average over the, over 30 seconds and move that to the fourth power and then take the, the fourth root over. And I think it's an attempt to kind of try and allocate the effort more towards those higher intensity efforts versus those lower intensity efforts. So it's an attempt to mimic kind of what we actually do mathematically, which is actually work out what those numbers are. So it's it's different in terms of what exert does. It's not trying to mimic what's going on. It's actually trying to determine precisely what's going on because it's mapping it to your MPA. So your MPA is a reflection of what you can actually do. And that's governed by kind of these efforts above and below threshold, both the recovery and how fast can you recover and how fast can you use it? Your signature defines that. And so that's the biggest difference is we're not trying to use some kind of averaging algorithm that's trying to estimate what these numbers are it's more like it's trying to actually calculate how much power you can produce and that power that you can produce that maximal power available is your signature ultimately in the end
0: your signature applied to that power data correct yeah yeah and uh there are just a couple other talking points that i think are important that i wanted to bring up as well and And it kind of goes back to this whole relationship between threshold and HIE, where if you don't have maybe good deep efforts near threshold for exert, really to 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 differentiate the uh, threshold and HIE, uh, it's possible that you can kind of get this uh, skewed relationship between the two, and uh, especially with those two parameters, threshold and HIE, if those two are uh, like if threshold is a couple watts too high, HIE is a couple uh, or a couple kilojoules too low, you're going to find that a lot of the workouts, uh, are going to be, uh, they're going to feel, uh, a little bit more difficult, um, between LTP and threshold than they should be. Uh, and kind of conversely, if, if threshold power is a couple watts too low, uh, and HIE is a couple watts too high, you're also going to find that those workouts are going to feel a little bit harder, uh, between your LTP and your threshold power. Uh, and so that kind of goes back to this whole point of, um, really making sure that that maximal data uh, right where you're at the point of fatigue that you have kind of that natural fatiguing and you allow yourself to express kind of how you fatigue and let the system work out uh, kind of what the MPA was or uh, let the fitness signature explain how your MPA decreased over that effort. Uh, And and that's really going to be the best way that we can really make sure that we've got an accurate fitness signature for you and make sure that those workouts really are done uh, kind of at the at the appropriate intensity,
1: and uh, you know this is an important point to really think about, and that is if M- if threshold is the is the point at which MPA comes down when you're above it and, and recovers when you're below it, if it's set at three hundred again, let's just say for example, if you spent and it's 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 off by a couple of watts, let's say it's three hundred, but it was really two ninety five, well if you think you can probably spend an hour at 300, but really there, if you're at 300, you're actually using up MPA. Your MK is coming down at that point. So even, so the longer your effort, the more sensitive it's going to be to the precision of your threshold. Okay, so the longer you, if you're gonna spend like 40 minutes on an interval, you wanna wanna make sure your threshold is fairly accurate because if it's off by five watts or, or 10 watts, it's going to dramatically affect the fatigue that you're going to experience on that on that interval. So that's the one thing that you know you'll see you'll see some people with with very long efforts, and you know uh, and they've managed to sustain these efforts. And if they're close to threshold, you'll see your your difficulty score let's say hit over two hundred. And meanwhile, you know you adjust you adjust the threshold up by a handful of watts and all of a sudden their difficulty score comes way down and MPA stays up. Well, that's because it's that sensitive. So when you're in that kind of threshold uh, region and you're trying to hold power at threshold, it's gonna be really sensitive to how, how precise that threshold is. So you almost, you almost wanna think of like the hour record as being so sensitive to that. Like if, you, if you're gonna do the hour record and you, know, you're, you start off with a few watts above threshold, you know, you're toast. It's just not, you know, you've got to know where it is so precisely that you want to be right up against it without actually ever going over it. Because if you go start going over it, you're just going to get more tired. You're going to experience some more difficulty. It's just going to, you're just going to suffer and suffer your way through that one hour effort. Meanwhile, if you're just slightly below it and can sustain that, then it's going to change the change the effort dramatically.
2: Yeah. And, and how how tightly that is just reflects back to, being a participant for Scott's study, where at the end we were like, I did a kind of ride to exhaustion at 228 watts one day, and the other was 232, something like that. Really, only four watt difference. And you know, I'm a trained, but certainly not elite athlete. You know, age group, um, age group type of athlete, and just that difference of four watts led to the difference in, I think, if I recall, Scott, you can correct me, but at 228 watts, I lasted about, you know, 20-something minutes and 27, 28 minutes or so. Yeah. And at, um, at 232 watts, again, just 4 watts higher, um, I, I only lasted about 17 minutes or so. It was, you know, that dramatic, just that difference in, in kind of 4 watts you know let's say let's say my threshold was you know actually in that time 228 right if i can handle that for 27 minutes and just uh, by you know going that tiny tiny bit above i mean most of us wouldn't even notice 4 watt kind of out on the road but it was it was you know your body and your capacity is that that sensitive that you know it, the effort was just so much harder. And again, I lasted 10 minutes less, I, I A third less time at that, at that wattage of only four Watts extra.
0: It's amazing. We're playing within the tolerance limits of the power meters themselves. Uh, a lot of times, like, uh, just a, a couple, a handful of Watts can make a huge difference. Let's say you've got a threshold of 300 Watts. A lot of times we the, the margin of error w- with the fitness signatures that we're working with is often within the, the margin of error of the actual power measuring device itself, which I think is incredible. And the, the other point I kind of wanted to jump back on with with um, with Armando's point as well is that if you do have that, let's say, 300-watt threshold and you're, uh, but your threshold is actually, let's say, like 305 watts, you might be doing kind of um, uh, a hard effort where you might not actually see MPA coming down, uh, or sorry, I backed that. I reverse that. Let's say you're doing an effort at 300, but your threshold's actually uh, 305 watts. You might see kind of that MPA coming down when in reality, you might actually be able to tolerate that. And so some people might say like, oh, I did like this 40 minute effort and MPA didn't even drop, or it only came down like 10%. You go and play with the, the advanced fitness signature. You drop threshold power, just a handful of watts. And now sure enough, you see MPA essentially coming to the point of failure where they were no longer able to tolerate it as well. And so once again, just the, the amount of sensitivity within the system uh, is, is rather amazing to me, to be honest.
1: And, and I think that's what makes it so interesting to be used as a way to kind of map out your training and map out your, your progress and identify the improvements. You know, we've said before, you know, or, or I haven't said it, I think it was, was Peter Drucker that brought it or that said it was, you know, that which gets measured gets improved right? It's a management kind of phrase, but it's really ultimately meaning that if you're able to measure something, you're able to improve it. So that's one thing that you'll get from exert is that you're going to get this higher frequency of these measurements, these circles for a lot of people happen really frequently, once or twice a week, sometimes even more. And so and and the fluctuations are super sensitive. Like we're talking a couple of watts here, a couple of watts there, and, and overall it's kind of like you're measuring yourself on a scale and you're seeing your, your weight move up or down a uh, a pound or two, you know, uh, during the week. Um, but then you can see that trending and, and that trending does follow with your training and you'll get this really clear idea that your training is working because you're seeing that three or four watt improvement in your threshold. And how that aligns with the training that you've been doing that is that that evidence is pretty stark in your own data and i think that's what people recognize with exert and that's when you when your signature is dialed in you're gonna you know that you know that your training you, you know that your training is working because you see your numbers go up you know that you, the type of training you've been doing and how that's been validated by those breakthroughs it's a really great feeling to know that you've been training effectively and you're getting those results. So, so that's when, you know, things are truly dialed in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the other topics here that I wanted to bring up today, uh, there's also been a good amount of discussions on our online forums lately that have been looking at uh, playing with the workout designer and kind of calculating how, how am I going to get this breakthrough or how how are these breakthroughs kind of uh, how are they earned? And so uh, it, it kind of goes back to us talking about that, that averaging if we're looking at that 20 minute power. And for those of you that have been on exerted for a while, you know that, that, that 95% of that 20 minute power isn't always gonna be the, the, best, uh, the, the best way to judge your threshold power. Because we, we know that your, tw- your ability to generate 20 minute power is not only dependent on your threshold, but also it's a, gonna be a function of your peak power and your HIE as well. And so although like the 95% of 20 minute power rule generally can work well for some athletes, uh, you'll find that it won't work well for, for other athletes. And um, one of the things uh, if like, if I'm allowed to roll up my sleeves and really get into uh, some of the nitty gritty here and uh, kind of explain what these breakthroughs are uh, and, and kind of how EXERT is able to um, kind of identify them and, and what's different about a breakthrough with EXERT versus kind of doing some of these standard tests really comes down to this uh, concept of, of what we kind of call this residual capacity. And so the idea of kind of a breakthrough, or I guess a maximal effort is any point at which your power is gonna be equal to your, your maximum power available. So at any point where that purple line touches your actual power output, we would, we would call that essentially a maximal effort. Uh, now, if you're able to push past that for the five seconds, we're going to call that a breakthrough because one or more of your fitness signature parameters must have changed. But something that's going to be inherently different about what we're doing at EXERT versus what any other system is going to be able to do is, is at that point, you're not necessarily at failure. And this is something that I've really been able to think a lot about and, and, and really study with my master's project is this whole idea of of hitting your MPA doesn't necessarily mean that you're entirely exhausted. And so uh, for some of our users out there that are maybe a little bit more red with the academic literature, there's a model out there called the critical power model. And uh, in very short, this critical power, you can kind of think of it very similar to your FTP or your threshold power, but it kind of represents this work rate at which you could kind of in theory ride at forever. And uh, kind of above that critical power, you have, similar to HIE, this fixed capacity called W prime, which represents how much work you can perform in excess of that critical power. Now, the the key difference between with what we're doing here at EXERT and, and what has been studied extensively with the critical power model is the assumption that kind of at fatigue or at any point where you can't sustain a power anymore uh, the, critical, the critical power model assumes that all of your W prime has, uh, has been expended and that you can only ride at critical power or less. And so one way you could think about it is if I were to ask you to ride at your highest or your very best two minute power or your two minute power right now. At the end of those two minutes in the system with the exert, we're going to say, okay, your MPA is now equal to your two minute power. And so you'll see those two touch but you might be well above your threshold at that point. And so what we're able to say at at EXERT is that you can still continue to work above threshold, but it just has to be less than your two minute power uh, versus uh, what's been done extensively in the research literature so far is if you were to ride that same two minute effort, the assumption is when you can't hold that two minute effort anymore, let's say it's 400 Watts. The assumption is when you can't hold those 400 Watts, you've used all of your anaerobic capacity, you've used all of your W prime, or your W prime balance is zero. And the assumption is that the hardest intensity at that point that you could ride at becomes critical power, and which would allow you to kind of start rebuilding that W prime back up. But the fundamental difference is that you you ride those two minutes as hard as you can, and you're very tired, but you're not exhausted. You can still ride above threshold, and we exert can calculate how hard above threshold you can ride. And we're able to give that to you interactively in real time. And so that's one of the the huge differences and in, in the, 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 the really the power behind the system really comes into not only tracking how long you can hold your two minute power, uh, the CPW prime model actually does a very fantastic job of that. It can estimate your two minute, your four minute, your five minute power. If you've got good data, it can estimate how long you can hold that power. The really the advantage for exert comes in what happens after you hold that two minute power? What happens after you hold that four minute power? Or what happens if you hold two minutes, your two minute power for one minute and then switch it to something slightly less? That's really where Exert's gonna be able to step in and, and really uh, interactively in real time, tell you how hard you can go or how much longer you can go uh, versus uh, kind of the more traditional where there's no rate limit on how you can spend that W prime. So they assume that when you can't hold that effort above threshold anymore they that you've used all of your anaerobic capacity and you have to ride at that threshold and so uh, a lot of the research uh, that we've been able to do so far uh, both both Stephen and I have really been looking into uh, being able to explain this uh, with what we know so far at EXERT and this this concept of there being this ceiling that represents how much work you can perform which we already no, when we calculate as as MPA. That's that's great.
1: That's a great explanation, Scott. Thank you for that. Um, you know, I, I I think you know bringing it back to what you started with, which is this residual capacity, and that's what you know. That's that's a key concept, which is that you know when you reach the point of failure, you're not totally exhausted where you can't continue. You actually have some capacity to continue, and that. That capacity continue gives you an ability to sustain power briefly. Mm-hmm. However, it is brief. It's not like it's only you have like, you know, all this capacity. It's not like a reserve capacity, which we won't get into today. That's a different concept altogether. Maybe another topic for another show. But uh, this residual capacity does give you temporarily some power available to perform above your threshold. And that... Well, And that will, and that will, that's sustainable. And and it'll actually also be subject to a continuously decreasing power available. So as you use it, power available starts, still continues to decline.
0: Well, and the other interesting thing about it is that this, this uh, residual capacity that you have, it's actually going to be dependent on how hard you are working to begin with. And so if we go back to my example of you riding at that two minute power, when you can't hold that two minute power anymore, you can still ride at your three minute power, your four minute, you can still ride well above threshold. Uh, And so you might actually have a rather large, what we call a residual capacity uh, at that two minute power. Now, if we have you redo that experiment, but we have you work at your 20 minute power, which might only be 15, 20 Watts above your threshold, by the time you've hit that failure point, when you can no longer hold your 20 minute power, you're already so close to your threshold and you're limited by MPA, you're gonna find that you're gonna have very, very little residual capacity or this very little ability to continue pedaling at those lower intensities. And so something else that's been interesting with the research so far is really looking at this relationship between how hard you are going in that test and how much reserve you have available once you hit that point of fatigue, which is, uh, I think, another interesting point. Very
1: much so. Yeah. Look, looking forward to hearing more from you, Scott, on that. It's going to be
0: awesome. I'm so excited for the result.
1: <laughs> Excellent.
0: Um, you know, there's there's the thing
1: I think there's one other topic we wanted to cover today that I want to spend a couple of minutes on because I think, it, you know, we hear this in the uh, uh, in on the forums and people kind of said, you know, hey, you know, I can, I can hit big, higher numbers when I'm climbing versus when I'm seated. And how does it, you know, how does exert work when, how does it know the difference and things like that? Well, I just got to sort of highlight that there are, you know, there's, the, you know, there's, there's different ways in which the numbers can get derived and will be expressed in your data. And there's different factors that could be at play in terms of, what's going to affect your NPA, And things like grade and the modality at which you're pedaling, so you pedaling seated, are you pedaling standing? Those are gonna have an impact in terms of how long you can sustain certain efforts. And so what we don't have an exert yet is kind of like a way in which we can modify your signature for different modalities and situations. Don't have that yet. It'd be great if we did and we have some ideas but we can't really say, Hey, this is your signature for standing. And this is your signature for sitting. This is your signature for, you know, climbing up 14% Hills. And this is your signature for going down a 3% Hill. We don't have, and those are, those are different because your ability to kind of lay down power and, and to engage the right, that the muscles needed are going to differ in different positions. So there's a, you have to acknowledge that there can be different signatures, so to speak, as dependent upon how you're pedaling the bike. Are you on a time trial position? Are you, you know, are you on the hoods or you, what, what have you? So there are different positions, there are different potential signatures that could come, uh, come out of your test, you could, that could be extracted from your data. The data doesn't tell you, doesn't tell us what position you're in, all right? We don't get that from your data. Maybe one day we will. Uh, and so it's really up to you then to assess, hey, you know, this may not make sense for me because I've been doing these when I was climbing and I've been getting higher numbers when I'm climbing, but I'm really training on flat ground. What should I do? Well, you know, you may need to think about that because like I said, the system doesn't know that you're climbing. So if you're all you're doing is climbing and you want to, you want to train when you're climbing, then great. Those are going to be very valid numbers. But if you're going to be sensitive, if you think that, you know, your, your climbing numbers are going to be way better than your your fl- numbers on flat ground. Well, then you may want to think about how, that might be impacted in your data and how that, you know, you might want to look at how do I adjust my signature for those situations? So it's a little more advanced to be able to do that. But like, like I said, the system isn't equipped yet to kind of handle these different situations, you know, and, and it's kind of analogous to other things we've talked about, like endurance energy, where, you know, you have a signature when you start your ride, but five hours later, you're going to have a different signature. It's kind of like, you know, my FTP, when I start, if i do a 1 hour effort isn't the same as my ftp when i do another hour effort you can't expect it to be the same because then it wouldn't be a 1 hour effort it'd be a 2 hour effort right so so you, you you have to imagine that your your ftp isn't the same after a 1 hour effort it would have to be some kind of lower number and what is that lower number and how do we track that Do we measure that so you know we that's that's a tough problem it's hard enough just to get a proper threshold number out of your data, let alone what your threshold number would be after five hours. We've talked about with endurance. Centers. That's another dynamic. Another dynamic is altitude, for example. So if you're, if you're, if you're riding at, at altitude and you get a signature, that's gonna be different than you're riding at sea uh, at, uh, at level. So you know, we don't yet, we, we actually have the data to determine what altitude you're at and we can probably think about how we might wanna modify the model to account for the altitude changes. I think there's ways in which that can be done and we can do that. Uh, It's just not in the system just yet. So you'll again, if you're riding, you're doing some efforts at altitude, you may want to think about how that signature might be affected by that. And I think the last item that you'll often see uh, in potential uh, discrepancies with your signature is from cadence itself. So if you've got, if you're climbing and you're in a kind of really tall gear, you're just not geared, you don't have a low enough gear to kind of pedal at the appropriate cadence, well, then you could be experiencing more fatigue as a result. So when you're so what would technically happen is that you would be experiencing more fatigue and your MPA would be elevated higher than what it should be. Okay, so that's that's because you're pedaling too slow or you're pedaling too fast. So a lot of times you see people will do cadence drills. So they do these cadence drills and they pedal they really, really fast and then they complain that they can't reach their NPA. Well yeah, that's what you would expect, right? If you're going to do cadence drills and you're going to experience more fatigue as a result of pedaling too slow or too fast, then that's going to, re- that's going to end up showing as a higher MPA than real. So you won't, you're going to have a harder time kind of getting your breakthroughs if you're going to not pedal at kind of an optimal cadence. So anyhow, so those are the sort of the dynamics that can be, can be at play outside of just your raw power data that there's some other, other you know, um, aspects or dimensions to your data that we don't, always, we don't account for today. But, you know, rest assured from your data, we're gonna give you a pretty accurate uh, uh, representation of what we think your, your best effort with, that, with your data is, and that's your signature. So that's what you can track, that's what you can improve upon, and that's what you can I- evaluate. And that's uh, and like we we're taught, were saying earlier, that process is really, really sensitive. So really good at capturing even small changes in that in that performance.
2: And a lot of times, in terms of day to day, it's uh, I mean, in some senses, just ride right. It's uh, most of us, yeah. You know, we have a, for example, a preferred cadence. Uh, you know, you yours Armando might be, you know, a hundred, mine might be closer to 90 and the studies have shown that a, it's very hard to train someone to move away. You know, again, if I'm at 90, it takes a long time, if ever to train me to comfortably be most efficient at a hundred. And, um, so you know why I say you know most of the time just ride. It's you know most of the time unless you are forcing yourself to do something really out of the ordinary, like deliberately trying to do efforts at you know seventy RPM uh, when your self-selected cadence would be ninety in that situation. You're not gonna you know it's most of the time you're gonna you're gonna default to your ninety rpm in my case as an example so you know whether it's in a club race whether it's stuff it's not as if if i'm suddenly going to be hey to bridge up i'm going to go shift down to down to a big gear and try to you know ram it into uh you know 70 rpm and bridge up to to the breakaway you're just going to ride at your normal cadence so at your normal preferred cadence so that's why i say you know most of the time it'll come out in the wash. We're just going to be doing what we do naturally. The times where you may want to again possibly flag your workout or make those detailed notes is if you are deliberately doing something that is, you know, relatively non-natural. And by non-natural, I mean it's not your typical selected mode. Whether it is suddenly, you know, oh, you know, I'm I have a holiday up to Colorado and And I'm suddenly, you know, doing rides up there or, you know, where I am doing a specific drill where I'm trying to, you know, maintain the same wattage and same workout. But instead of 90 RPM, my normal natural preferred cadence, I'm trying to do them at 110 or at 70. So those are the times that you want to kind of flag yourself, Um, you know, or, you know, again, I remember when I was living in Vancouver and... And, uh, you know, living at the base of Burnaby Mountain, uh, 5K climb at 8% and commuting up to my master's, do my master's. There. there are times where I would deliberately stand up the entire 5K, you know, just to train myself to, to ride standing up. And other times where I would deliberately, you know, be seated and in whether it's a really low gear and really high gear. So, you know, those are kind of, quote, unnatural. That's not the normal way I would default climb. And so I would kind of flag those or at least make a note of them. So when I can go back and look at the data, as says, oh, okay, this, for example, is why I couldn't generate as much power today because I was deliberately, you know, again, whether I was, uh, you know, spinning in a smaller gear than normal and higher cadence than normal or whatever. So just to reflect back on, you know, yes, we can kind of do a lot of that work to, you know, really individualize kind of your fitness signatures to each individual ones. But a lot of times they're in such rare cases that, that, uh, you know, it doesn't really, you know, kind of pay off to really make that note of that one individual effort and have a specific fitness signature to it.
1: You know, I, I, I think people forget how, complex it is to do what we're attempting to do. It's, you know, we're attempting to pull your, your signature from a ride that has no, it has no intentional expression of your fitness. It's in other words, you know, we're just trying to grab it from your data and we're trying to determine whether you had a maximal effort. And we're trying to determine from that, what, what your actual signature is that's a pretty novel thing that's never been done before. So it's what unique is, exerts doing this uniquely. And I just want to express that I know there's some people that have tried exert four years ago and say, Hey, you know, it didn't work for me four years ago, or, you know, my numbers were completely didn't make any sense. You know, given the sensitivity of what we're doing and, and given how, you know, we've had to kind of implement this and improve upon it and then hone in on this kind of process, it's not an easy thing to do. And so I think if you if you can work with it, you can and you know either through our support identify when're when things are off track uh, and get it back on track uh, when you're able to do that you're you're really in a position to get a really clear understanding of what it's going to take to improve and perform so that's really a, what I think are the users that are really are are that are enjoying the system and are betting benefiting from the system. They've really understood that. So if you haven't been with, if you haven't tried to exert in a while, come back, try it out. If you're seeing any kind of things that don't make any sense, don't say that the system doesn't work. It just means that you might need a little bit of uh, some assistance to get it back on track, likely because there are other errors in your data or other factors. So, so, so do, um, you know, uh, uh, do, you know, try us out again. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, we'll definitely be there to help you and help you get the most out of the system.
0: We've got a lot of people that I know that have, um, definitely come back and, and wanted to try exert for a second time around. I think there's a lot more resources now than there were four or five years ago to help people understand. And we've, we've got a great community. Um, our online forum is really getting busy lately. There's a lot of very helpful, Um, people that are, that are willing to help other exerters out, either help understand things, understand the workouts, how to use the adaptive training advisor, that sort of thing. So um, definitely like try it out again. We've got a good uh, like community support. We've got uh, an excellent uh, support staff here as well. So um, yeah, definitely try it out again. We'd love to have you back (laughs) Mm -hmm, for sure. You know, and then, and realize that there's no magic,
1: you know, the system is really just trying to look at your data and make and help you make sense out of it, whether that's on a breakthrough or whether it's even in your overall training and how much training can you do and should you be doing to improve. It's just really a, it's a good tool set to help you understand what's going on. I think that's kind of what people have to appreciate. There's no magic. And if it's not working, it's likely something with your data that we can address and we can make work for you. So so uh, just be conscious of that as well.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we covered everything that I wanted to do today, and I think we had some really good discussions there. So we're a little bit longer than our than the usual uh, podcast length, but I think that's okay. Hopefully, uh, hopefully our users found uh, found some beneficial tips and tricks, and hopefully learned some something more about the system today. So I didn't have any additional comments. I don't know if uh, you would like to add anything in.
1: No, I appreciate it. I, I think we, had, we really covered off some, uh, some great topics today. So it's been a great discussion. Thanks, Scott.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks. thank you both for joining me today. I always appreciate the time we get to spend and nerd out a little bit. Uh, it's probably my favorite part of the show is getting to especially nerd out a, on some of the stuff that I get to do in the lab. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. Uh, and uh, we'll see you then next time.
2: All right. Bye all for right. now. Have fun. Stay safe.